Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. With me is my esteemed colleague, Ellie Mistal. Hi, Joe. Hey. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. You know, this is, we're kind of doing the Bob Ross style here. You're calm, collected. I'm, I'm just pretty happy. I can't talk about it today because it's already happened by the time you've listened to this podcast. But on the off chance that you haven't been reading Above the Law for the past week, I suggest you do it. Yes, this is our attempt to have you be cognizant that things you talk about today won't be heard by people for a couple yes. of days. I just want the people to be cognizant that we also have a website that people should probably read now and again. In any events, for my topical evergreen talk, I'm going to return to a topic that is near and dear to my heart, my goddamn yard. All right. So, Joe, you'll remember this because we're actually we, yes. friends in real life. I have a problem with a stray cat. Now, for the lawyers listening, you might not know this. Apparently, there is a difference between a stray cat and a feral cat. Um, yes. Joe, you can explain that. Uh, yes, a stray cat may be a domesticated cat who is just homeless. And a feral cat is like a lion. Well, right. It's like a tiny lion, uh, like a really tiny lion, but sure. Right. I have one or the other that periodically, especially when it's cold, kind of comes into my uh, yard, my yard area, and sleeps under various uh, outcroppings. Obviously, when it's warm, the cat doesn't show up as much. But this summer the cat would periodically sleep under various outcroppings and drink out of the pool, the kiddie pool that we had set up for mm -hmm. the kids because we would like leave the kiddie pool out kind of early in the day so the water would warm up and then bring the kids out at night. And on a couple of occasions, I saw the cat drinking out of the pool, which is bad because it's either stray or feral, rabbit or like has AIDS. So, okay. So I call, as per your suggestion, I call the ASPCA come out to my house and figure out what to do about this cat, right? Of course, both times the ASPCA comes out, the cat's gone. It's just, it knew it was being hunted or some shit. So the cat's just goddamn gone both times the ASPCA comes out. And I'm kind of like, well, you know, trying to be, I'm a humane person. So I'm like, but I'm like, can you leave like a trap for it? And the ASPCA guy's like, you want us to trap the cat? What the hell is that? What the hell's wrong with you? And I'm like, not kill it, just, you know. Capture no. it, yeah. Capture it. No, they can't leave any kind of standing tiger traps for the damn cat. So they leave, and of course, like, the next weekend that I don't call the ASPCA, the cat's back, mm -hmm. drinking out of the goddamn pool. Right. What am I supposed to do? Because it's about to get cold, and we know the cat comes back when it's cold, but usually at night. Like, how am I supposed to humanely capture and either find this cat's owner or release it back into the wild that is not my house? So it, it drinks pool water. This is this is the heavy concern that you have? Over the summer and the winter, it like needs warmth and food probably. Yeah. Who are these cats' owners? I mean, well, potentially nobody. That's, that's the <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, I don't quite see what the problem the is. The problem is got a goddamn cat like on my property. Yeah, well. Drinking out of the pool. Congratulations, you've got a pet cat now. Welcome to the party. So then, all right, all right, all right, all right, Mr. Because you're a cat guy, right? I do enjoy cats. I'm they, a dog guy. Yeah. Am I now under some kind of moral or ethical or legal obligation 
to feed the cat, especially when it's cold? Am I under an obligation to make sure that it has, I don't, they drink milk, right? No, 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 they don't, don't, don't do that. They do not do that. Um, yeah, no, uh, you don't need to do anything. If you don't provide it with food, it will go to your neighbors. It's not like you live in the country where there's no neighbor for a mile. Like, it will just move on to the next place over. If you wanted to be nice, you could provide it with some water, yes, but... I want to be nice, but I also... I basically have the classic, like, Republican dilemma, right? Mm. I want to be nice to it, but I don't want to encourage its behavior. Interesting. Yeah, well, I, it doesn't get to choose whether or not it gets a job, right? So this this cat <laughs> is, you're not really encouraging anything other than whether it gets its food from you or your neighbor. So I think you're fine. I mean, the liberal in me is going to do what I did last winter, which is like... You're going to feed it, aren't you? Feed it and put a yeah. freaking blanket out. So you've got, you've got a pet cat. Congratulations. So anyway, that was our exploration of the legal obligations of owning an animal, I suppose. Not um, owning! Right of caring for a living being. So, yeah, all right. Well, let's not talk about that anymore. How about okay. Uh, no, we're, we're going to talk about some legal technology. As you know, we've talked in the past about how legal technology is this trend that some lawyers don't quite understand. We've talked to some folks who've, you know, given us some insights into what's going on in that space, and this is yet another uh, take on that. So I was down at the internet, and you heard the episode where we did trivia, was down at the International Legal Technology Association convention. And while we were there, we also had some talks with our friends from Case Point, and we decided to have them on to talk a little bit about technology and what's going on. So rather than have anybody talk on top of each other, let me go through this one by one. Uh, Haresh, do you want to introduce yourself and your job? And then we'll do the same thing with Dave and then get into this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Ali. Appreciate the opportunity. As Joe mentioned, my name is Haresh Bengalia. Um, I'm actually the CEO of CasePoint. And my job is just to make sure that the ship keeps running uh, in terms of making sure that our technology direction is correct, our customers are serviced, and quite honestly, that we uh, keep paying the bills. Fair enough. So, David, do you want to introduce yourself now? Sure. Hi, Joe and Ali. My name is David Carnes. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer of CasePoint. I've been here for eight years and I probably think way too much about legal technology in general. And Ellie, I think you probably should get a catnip for your neighbors and hand them out as gifts. Ooh, that is some devious shit right there. <laughs> that is pretty impressive. All right, that, so now we have a new, uh, a new leader in the clubhouse on how Ellie should deal with the cat. So guys, uh, what I, I guess let's talk kind of at the 30,000 foot level about the industry first, and then we'll go into some of the stuff that you're all doing. Legal technology, now, Lawyers are notoriously Luddites who just want to keep doing the same thing that they've done for 8 million years. But are you noticing that we started to turn a corner that law firms in particular and legal departments at companies, the clients, do you think they've started to kind of turn the corner and realize that it's time to adopt some technological fixes that, you know, the age of the typewriter has finally come to them, as it were? Yeah, I think if you start to look at kind of what's going on out there, we are seeing some of the big law start to embrace technology, I think that they're seeing that if they don't, they're going to have some challenges along the way. And I think more importantly, as we live in this kind of transparent world of free flow of information, the law firm's clients are realizing that, holy cow, why are you not doing this differently? Why are you not looking at efficiency? Why are you not looking at embedding some technology to help you do your job so that then we can kind of manage our legal spend? So I think that there's 
pressure from all sides and there's an opportunity. I think that the adoption is a little bit slower than maybe we'd like it to be. But at the same time, that creates opportunities for companies like ourselves because it does allow for a longer runway. Yeah. So, David, I'm wondering if do you think there's a any push pull that's stronger? Do you think the clients have kind of driven this or do you think that some of the elite law firms have just kind of decided on their own that it's time to face the music and just capture some more market share? Because we know how elite law firms love changing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you think back, here's a perfect legal technology answer to your question. I was in legal technology in the late 90s. And at the time, every law firm that I knew and some that I worked at used WordPerfect. And it was like everyone would agree WordPerfect was the way to go for a long time. And then all of a sudden, pretty much the entire industry went over to Microsoft Word for the most part. That was driven by clients demanding that their law firms use the same word processing platform that they were using. So I would argue that what we're seeing again today is the clients are driving the need for law firms to adopt more business-like behaviors, running off of analytics, developing legal workflows, that's being driven by the client and the law firms are reacting to it. You're bringing me back to my uh, CompuServe days there, David. (laughs) My question for you guys is, and, and this is kind of the standard question that we get from a lot of our younger listeners, explain to the, to the younger crowd, how legal technology is not going to crush their dreams, prevent them from getting jobs and make them end up, you know, sitting in a town in West Virginia voting for Donald Trump. Like how, how are younger lawyers supposed to compete against the robots? In fact, I'd even agree that the uh, younger lawyers actually can compete better because they're able to kind of embrace and adopt the, you know, the newer technology that's out there. They're able to easily navigate their way through the tech and drive efficiency and value as they're servicing their clients. And so I think when we look at kind of lawyering, if you want to call it that, it's really about the practice of law. The practice of law is not going to go anywhere. The need for legal advice and legal counsel is always going to be there. It's just about how is it delivered and what tools are used to deliver it in, you know, the most efficient way possible. I love that answer. The younger people are going to merge with the technology, become like symbiotes, and it'll be the old people who are just relying on their old, you know, grit and gumption who are cast out. I like that. It's the future. Yeah, no, I mean, I certainly think that's true as far as who's going to be more likely to adopt this stuff. And, you know, one thing that Ellie said that that really is key is there's some kind of snake oil level of legal tech that is, uh, you know, this could replace lawyers and whatever. And then there's the other level that is just much like a word perfect or a word. It's really just a tool that makes things run a little bit faster. And it's not going out to replace you. It's about to make you more efficient, which... I guess this might be the the right place to transition into talking a little bit about CasePoint itself. So what does CasePoint bring to the table and how does it fit into the legal workflow? Yeah, so I think it's not really kind of a word perfect or a word analogy, but it's something a little bit more than that. I think it's about kind of bringing a new way of thinking and a kind of a new approach to how, uh, well, we manage e-discovery within the legal tech space. And it's really about how are our clients looking at e-discovery as a whole, and are they willing to embrace kind of the newer technology that's out there? You know, we've been in business for 10 years, so obviously we have all of the basic building blocks of a normal e-discovery process, if you want to call it that. 
But it's really about the way that we deliver the platform and the way that it's consumed and kind of some of the overarching functionality that we offer around analytics and machine learning and automation and things along those lines that differentiate us. And so I think ultimately what it comes down to is when you look at kind of the volume of data that's out there and what needs to be consumed and as that's growing exponentially, I think that if lawyers are not using the right technology, they're going to get buried and opposing counsel is going to prevail because they're going to have better speed of execution if they're leveraging the right tools. Yeah, now that's an interesting answer because what you're arguing for, arguing about, is that a technological advantage is going to have a real impact on how cases are decided, right? And and I think that a lot of lawyers... I mean, this goes back to the way the profession thinks of itself and how much stock they put in their own legal and research skills. But what you're suggesting is that kind of the firm with the best technology might have an advantage in court as opposed to, you know, the firm with the best facts or or the firm with the best legal arguments. Well, I don't know if that would quite be true. I mean, you still have to have a defensible legal argument that's supported by evidence. It's just we're providing a platform that allows you to build that story as efficiently as possible. Yeah. One thing that when I sat down with David and go through like the demo of it uh, a couple weeks ago is that CasePoint is kind of adaptable to different stuff. Like it's kind of becoming more like an umbrella application as opposed to doing one thing. It gives you the opportunity to set up ways of doing lots of different legal tasks. That's absolutely right. I mean, so we've been known as a discovery company, as Fresh said, for 10 years. And as part of delivering that service, we've had to build a lot of um, new technology to service our clients. And it could be servicing our clients with technology that complements the discovery workflow. What that led us to was actually over the past two years adapting our entire platform to be a legal technology platform and not just an e-discovery platform. So now CasePoint can help our clients with custodian management and matter management and other workflows that are just needed to help them with their overall case. Yeah, because I, I mean, I can see even outside of just the litigation discovery worldview that like I can see applications where transactional lawyers might have an interest in using something that can leverage all the tools that are kind of built into a case point. When firms are making the transition from kind of an older technology to a newer one like yours, what do you find to be the, the biggest hurdles for the firms as they are kind of going through the process of transitioning? So like assume... They want to do it, which is, you know, knowing is half the battle. Um, assume that they want to do it and they've committed to do it. What's the next hurdle that they face? Well, inevitably, there's a, a lot of processes that they need to consider to apply the automation to. So, you know, it's now called digital transformation predominantly, but back in the day, it was called business process automation. And in order to automate a business process, you have to have one. And there's a number of practice groups, there's a number of law firms that they don't necessarily have a clearly defined business process. So that's step number one, is to really introspect and reflect on how exactly do we do these things? But then when you start thinking about applying automation to that, you can take advantage of distributed systems, you can take advantage of analytics, you can take advantage of reflecting on the data you've gathered and making new decisions 
I mean, it really does transform the way we practice law, but first we have to identify what our processes are. And you know, you mentioned analytics and it's come up a couple of times as we've been talking. I really felt that if there was any theme of this year's conference, it was the rise of analytics. Not that people didn't have analytics before, but that was the big thing. Everybody was trying to explain analytics this, analytics this. It seems like the idea that the legal process creates lots of iterative data points, and it's now time to try and harness those into understanding anything, how to better build your business process, how to understand judges, how to understand expert witness testimony. Basically, everything this year was about analytics. Could somebody make the New York Giants go to that conference? N yeah, well, yeah. Because but, their general manager doesn't believe in these crazy statistics about running backs. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he doesn't. Uh, yeah, you're <laughs> in real problem. You're in real trouble there. Yeah, you don't really have any any really positive sports teams right now, do you? No, I'm no. I'm yeah. just looking That's forward shame. to the Women's World Cup. That's yeah, there you all go. I got. But yeah, no, uh, analytics was kind of the theme. And that's something that your tool can really zero in on, because especially given its kind of broader mandate of like being an umbrella, you can put everything in there and be able to pull out information from large amounts of data that's going through it. Well, right. And, you know, this is all about, A, you have to be able to gather data in order to analyze it, in order to make business decisions. And the fact that CasePoint is able to take in metadata and provide any discovery team the ability to perform analytics on that metadata to find documents and also look at things like billing practices or timekeeping or just, frankly, how many matters a client has. Those are all bits of data that when being able to pull together lets people make better business decisions. And I think more than ever, the practice of law is being run more like a business. Give me a real-world example for how it works. I guess not real-world. I'll make up a set of facts, and you tell me how it's going to help. Right? I've got a huge document dump. I'm looking for... You know, any emails related to... Yeah, you knew where I was going. No, I... No. <laughs> I'm looking for any emails related to Stormy, okay? <laughs> I just, I just want to know anything that anybody said about Stormy. Could be about storms, could be about people, but I want to know. Now, in the old days, I'm just going to... I'm going to get all my documents in any discovery server. I'm going to click through them kind of one by one by one by one by one, right? That's the very old days. And that kind of, I would say, modern era, I'm going to run some kind of algorithm on it, right, to get out some of the trash. Maybe I can teach the computer, teach the algorithm. God, I sound old. Teach the, teach the computer. I can teach the algo how to X out emails about a hurricane. Now, you're the next level. What are you doing so that I can find those stormy emails a little bit more easily? Okay, so you're going to be able to still do all those things. You're going to be able to run searches. You're going to be able to use the algorithms to find, you know, use predictive analytics to find documents related to the documents related to the ones that have the word stormy in it. But think about this. So now you have some sort of custodian tracking system, hopefully built on top of case point, and you found out, hold on, all of the emails or all the documents related to Stormy turns out to be from a custodian that we collected in Indonesia and nobody else. But why isn't that we haven't collected any of the other custodians' information from Indonesia? We only focused on, you know, their India location. 
And now this is where CasePoint's helping connect the dots because you can use the e-discovery system to peer into the custodian management system, which then allow you to make better decisions about either how to collect more data or offices that you want to focus on. Yeah. All right. And it could also do some stuff as far as when you're saying something, you know, some of the stuff's about storms and some of it's stormy, whatever, like it will also have the capacity to kind of figure out that, you know, certain custodians, when they talk about storms are, you know, the weather service and certain custodians aren't. And that's stuff that will like crop up when you start running a lot of data through it. And it starts kind of figuring out where things come from with what in them. And that can help you better figure out what you need, right? That does sound useful, especially if you're trying to, you know, crunch it all on a very tight deadline. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, the nice thing is these systems are laying over multiple kinds of algorithms. There's algorithms around language. There's algorithms around patterns of documents. There's algorithms, you know, just beyond the, the distribution of certain kinds of words, or for that matter, the certain kinds of documents. Maybe the Excels are more rich with these words than the emails. And connecting the dots between all of them, that's where the real value is. But you have to have all this data in order to run analysis on it. Yeah, so that's great. I'm glad we got a chance to sit down and chat. We talked down at ILTA and we thought this would be a good conversation to bring onto the podcast so that we can kind of get out there how tech works and your stuff specifically. So that's great. Thank you so much for... And how you can become a symbiont. Well, yeah, I mean, hey, we're not there yet. Soon. Soon it'll take over, but not yet. So thanks, guys, for joining us today. And thank you all for listening. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Give it a review. That always helps it out. Be sure to read Above the Law. Ellie has already made that pitch. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Patrice. He's at L-E-N-Y-C. And listen to the other shows from the Legal Talk Network. And that is it. We will talk to you in the very near future. Peace out, guys. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.